Hi, everybody. We are recording today's session of Adapting on Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. I can't believe it's September. I can't believe the kids are going back to school here in North America. But today we have a conversation with Shauna Goodman coming up that I think you'll really appreciate. Now, just to give you a heads up, she is one of those philanthropists who brings a whole person, a whole biography, a whole passion to what we're talking about. And I really wanted to try and use today's broadcast to bring together these sometimes disparate parts of the Jewish educational ecosystem, the world of the philanthropy and the world of the so-called practitioner. And when you listen to someone like Shauna, you see how we can begin to bridge those gaps together by understanding that behind so many of the decisions that go into what is or isn't funded in the Jewish world, there are real people behind the scenes. And today's episode is one of those where we get to have a real candid conversation with one of those people who sometimes behind the scenes and sometimes from in front of the stage is making a real change in Jewish education here and in Israel. And I think you'll really enjoy learning about what goes on in the decision-making process behind a philanthropist in the world that we all care so much about. This is Adapting, the future of Jewish education, a podcast from the Jewish Education Project, where we explore the big questions, challenges, and successes that define Jewish education. I'm David Breifman. Hi, everybody. It's so great to be here on today's edition of Adapting with my guest, Shauna Goodman. I first met Shauna at a Jewish Funders Network conference last year, and I was inspired there by her enthusiasm and optimism about the Jewish people and about Jewish education. So I thought it'd be great to have her on board for today's edition of Adapting. So welcome, Shauna. Thank you. It's so fun to be here. So those of you who don't know Shauna, she is from Montreal originally and now living in Renana. She has her BA in art history from McGill University, and I believe she is the first full chef that we actually have on today's program or on our adapting in general. I want to talk to her about a lot of things today because I think she weaves and interweaves a whole lot of different topics that we have spoken about and will be speaking about in the adapting series ahead. So I just want to get the show rolling by asking Shauna, what made you decide to go live in Israel of all places? Well, I have to give credit to my husband, Todd, because he had an insatiable itch to go on a family year abroad to Israel. So I kind of was more tempted with going somewhere a little bit more exotic, a little bit more adventurous. I grew up in a community where I went to Israel on missions, on family trips to Israel, like on, with our synagogue, with my summer camp. But then I finally called his bluff and said, all right, let's go. And I was ready to do anything for a year with my three sons. So this is really an important piece of the story, and so is your incidental mentioning of Camp Ramas, something which we will return to in this discussion as well. But I want to ask you from your vantage point now, someone who's been in Montreal, now living in Israel, and you're moving between the two communities and also New York quite a bit as well. I think you have a really important vantage point to talk to us about Israel, diaspora, Israel and Jewish communities around the world. So when we talk about these issues as governments or big communities, that, that's one piece. But when we talk about people to people, that's another whole conversation. And I think that's an interesting bridge for you to be talking about in your work and in your personal life as well. And it's something I want to explore a bit further with you as the conversation moves on. But is that how you see it as well? That on a people level, there's no problem. But when you talk about the bigger level, that's when the problems begin to happen? 100%. And that's why I think it's all about building friendships. And that's why I'm crazy passionate about summer camps, because I can't think of a better breeding ground than summer camp to make long lasting friends that are real and sustainable and that deal with 
real issues. I was fortunate enough, my parents led a synagogue trip to Israel, and we were put on a kibbutz together as kids. I was in fourth grade, and my mother did the worst thing. She dragged me to another little girl and introduced me, which was like the most cringe thing one can do as a parent. And this girl, Liana, and I played Uno for the whole Shabbat. And it was my first experience being Shomer Shabbat. And we had these autograph books where we became pen pals. And that friendship with Liana, with the aerograms coming in once a month to my house, and, you know, just this fierce connection to an Israeli. And then I met her when I went with Camp Ramah on my seminar trip, my teens were, and she was my free weekend. And you never know how these friendships will transpire. You know, there's one's the romance of aerograms, and then it's another, the reality of actually, are we going to have anything to talk about? Like, will we be wearing the same jeans? Like, will we be able to relate to one another? And it was this beautiful opportunity that I feel that I had, and which is what I'm trying to do with the summer camps and, you know, bridging the worlds through, you know, university programs and anything that will possibly give an interaction between an Israeli and a chutzpah aris, as they say. So this might be a tangent or a segue, but for all of my listeners out there, I can't resist to do this. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, an aerogram. Now, an aerogram in these days was this blue thin piece of paper that was folded over. You had to lick it and then you couldn't open it without a knife. You needed a knife and there was no way of cutting it open, which didn't actually tear the thing in many pieces. But you literally used to wait months for a return response to come through these blue aerograms. And you can look them up now on eBay. I think there are a few out there and they really are historic relics. I mean, is that how you remember it as well? (laughs) I'm dating myself, but yes. And they were, they were holy. They held innermost feelings, emotions. The space was scarce. You couldn't feed another piece of paper in there. It was extra weight. So not even a slice of gum, nothing went in there, but your words. And so talk about intention. Nothing was more intentional than getting an aerogram. So part of this is Sean was receiving these aerograms from Montreal. I'm receiving them from Melbourne. We're sending them to our pen pals, whatever that means today in Israel. And I think this is what drew me to wanting to have the conversation with Shauna, because when you go to Jewish Funders Network conferences or a conference with a lot of philanthropists, you meet a lot of people who are involved in giving philanthropy. I mean, that's what the conference is about. It is rare or it was rare for me to be able to engage with somebody on a deeply personal level where it was both the person, the personality and the philanthropy all coming together in one seemingly you know, neat package. And that's really what I wanted to talk about today. So there are two major topics that I wanted to explore with Shauna today. And one is this whole thing about camp. Like you're clearly passionate about camp, but you were passionate about camp in North America. And then all of a sudden you have this crazy idea. Well, if it can work in North America, why can't it work in Israel? So you go about trying to establish or not establish because there are already a few examples out there, but trying to amplify summer camps in Israel that you knew so well from North America. So I'm just fascinated, like the cultural differences there, like really, can you transplant from one culture to another culture? Why did you go there? What was so, as they say in Hebrew, Meshugala Davar, like you were, this is your like real, real passion. So talk to us about what it's like to try and develop summer camps in Israel. Well, Mishuga is definitely a word because that's what makes this country bubble and just boom, you know, really it's having a little crazy in you. And, you know, I think when you do come and you pick up your very comfortable life and you come and nothing makes sense on a spreadsheet, you inherit some of this crazy. So like anything goes. And I think as any Ole or Ola who comes to Israel, we try to be additive and not just take up space. 
And I think when, you know, I got into this world of philanthropy, you're you've been told to find the gaps, like find the gaps, find the gaps. And you're like, what is you talking about the gaps? And I mean, I found the gap at the mall, but that was the furthest gap I found. And, you know, it's forced me to search inwards about like, what do I care about? What am I grateful for that I was given that was formative to who I am today? And my boys, part of the deal of moving to Israel was keeping the contract with Camp Ramah. Like we were going to continue to export our kids. But at the same time, I was trying to influence families here. So it brought me to the question after one of these summers of exporting my children, I felt like the question, like, what do Israeli kids do in the summertime? And so I started asking the question. And like when you ask any question, you start owning the question. And I started to breed this crazy passion for getting something done and working with organizations that were already here in Israel that were household names and educating them. Do you know about summer camp? Mazen, mazen, mapitom, you know, separating like Zalobishvilanu, Zalobishvilanu. And I said, give me a few minutes. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. I want to build an Israeli model. I am not cutting and pasting. I'm not a missionary. I don't, I can't import lakes and mountains and campsites. But the talent and the real sense of value of informal education is breeded here. There's millions of shekels invested to send Israelis into North American camps every summer. So the talent returns. We just have to organize them. We just have to use that return on the investment and make the camps possible in a very adaptive form, in a very Israeli model for Israeli children. So that's essentially what, you know, we're doing. It's a big work of translation. So when we started out on this project, I had to think deeply about what were the elements of summer camp that lit me up that was different than the rest of the year. I'm a Jewish day school girl. My parents stacked the deck. I was blessed with a lot of infusion of Jewish life and Jewish community and sense of belonging. But something that really struck me was at camp, you were mixed with kids that you wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to meet. So for Ramat, we had kids with special needs. We had American kids, you had Canadian kids, you had Israeli kids, and And that was the beauty that, you know, you had this camp community that gave you exposure to stuff that you couldn't get during the year. And so when I realized when we moved to Israel, and again, we live in this beautiful cocoon of Ranana, a lot of Olim, immigrants from all over the place, so no one is alike. But, you know, when you talk about the diversity of Israel, you know, and the Russian Olim and the Yemenites and, and uh, Ethiopians, and I don't get exposed to any of that here. My children don't get exposed to any of that here. So when we had the opportunity to build the model, I wanted to really push different populations that wouldn't otherwise come together to come together. And the argument is this all comes together when they go to the army. That's the big equalizer. But honestly, I feel that's way too late to show difference. And children are fantastic. Children are open. Naturally, they're open-minded. And if we can get in the door at an earlier age, between the ages of 11 and 16, to create positive experiences, to create positive friendships, to create 
places of engagement with the other, I think we're going to have a much better chance of a more cohesive society going forward. So that's just one of my bets that I'm hoping on. But if we don't set up these opportunities and force organizations to look outside their realm to mix different ingredients together, which is, you know, what I am a chef, you know, for my, my profession. So I'm a real blender. And I really believe you put quality ingredients in and mix them up. Great things can happen. I think now our audience can see why I've decided to have this conversation with Shauna. We've spoken about Israel and Israel diaspora relations, Israeli society, summer camp, the power of summer camp, integration of the Israelis from all different backgrounds coming together. And this is all the lead up really to the essence of the conversation that I wanted to have. Because when we launched season three of Adapting, we also said we wanted to get into some of the harder or the more challenging issues facing Jewish education in the Jewish world today. And I think now is the time for me to really come in with the the more challenging questions, not because they're difficult to answer, but because there's some of the questions we often choose not to talk about or not to talk about publicly. And here I want to talk about you as a philanthropist. And really, how do you come to the choices that you make as a philanthropist? How do you decide what it is that you you want to support and get behind? And there's a somewhat, you know, I'm not saying a, a necessarily a cynical undertone to the question, but it's sort of like people have the ability to give whatever they want to whomever they want. That's totally their choice. But in some ways, they're also helping to create the society which all of us get to live in. So should decisions like this be made based on gut or personal interest or what, what you might like? Should there be research or data to back up what you want to support? So therefore, there's some sort of more objective measure. But you as a philanthropist in this world, the settings that you surround yourself in, in say, a Jewish funders network conference, like how do you as a philanthropist want and see and how do you make the decisions that you make? That's an excellent question. And again, I'm still a learner in this space, but I'm very lucky because I grew up in a family of parents who were so active in their community. It wasn't about check writing. It was about being active. Our basement was set up as for a parlor meeting at all times. My mother was constantly licking envelopes and stuffing little notes to invite people to synagogue events and UJA events. And it's in Kishka. It's like, it's just what we had a home for to open it up to community. And I think when my, it was really my mother's idea of blessed memory, my mother passed eight years ago, but her real legacy was setting up this foundation. And it, it wasn't a lot of money in it. It wasn't really about the amount in it, but the intention that the next generation would come around together to talk about our values. And that was incredibly important to my mother, especially if she was an only child and she was blessed with grandchildren. And her legacy really was, how are we going to make a difference going forward, being so diverse, a wider family? And when are we ever going to have the opportunity to talk about it? And so I feel so incredibly indebted because she set up an instrument that we knew nothing about while she was living. We were sort of like, she was just sort of sprinkling angel dust all over and doing what she did so naturally. And we were busy in our lives. But then when she passed, it brought us together to come around. Well, what do we want to fix? What do we want to do? What is a foundation? And what what is our role in this work? And it was fascinating. I'm the youngest of four siblings, and we were all sitting in the same room, gathering what our values were that we each collected 
collected in our home. And there's an eight and a half year difference between us. So we all have very different memories. My siblings went away to school. I was left at home with one brother. And like, we have totally different narratives, but the same control group, the same parents, and the values were consistent. And we started with, and we had a great facilitator who helped us distill down what it is that we feel fortunate enough that we had in our life and how we can adapt it in a mission statement. And so we started off with the gratitude, which I think is the most beautiful place to start with, because this money is not ours. It has already been set aside. And I am just crazy responsible about making sure we do right by this money and to make sure we reach the right organizers who take it seriously with professionalism. But I'm not a report girl. I'm not someone who reads documents. You start with the kishkas. And I think you can't underestimate the kishka and the feeling of connection. Because if you don't, you're missing a big component of it. And you meet the most extraordinary people while you're on this journey who are so unbelievably committed to whatever cause that you have chosen your path on. And to me, this is the most grounding work that I feel gifted to be able to do. And I love bringing people along. So that's why I do the cooking classes in my house to invite people in to to get on board. You don't have to be a millionaire to be a philanthropist. You don't have to be a millionaire and drive a certain car to show up to things. If you get down to what this is about, it's about showing up. And to me, it's the most Jewish value, you know, a sense of the other and the sense of the vulnerable, and it enriches your life more than ever. And you have to start with what you care about. What do you want to fix? Because there's a lot of fixing to do and you can't fix everything. And I'd rather pick a few and go slowly and stay in the long game. I know what I'm interested in doing and starting, and I just to ignite it. And tikkun olam is, you know, a very generic term for this, but really like look inwards. And I'm all about collaboration. And honestly, the only philanthropy I get involved with is one that we play a role in it. And I wanted to say that like, when we pick a project, we only pick projects that one of my siblings are passionate about. We we don't check right. We're not passive. I'm not in the business to, as they say, le bezbez kesef. Like, I'm not looking to waste money. I'm looking for impact. And I want to feel a pulse. I'm not at the camps. We don't run the camps. We don't operate the camps. So the more connection I have to the source, we don't have limitless funds. So it's not like Daddy Warbucks kind of like, you know, throwing it around. It's, you know, every shekel is turned upside down 300 times and evaluated. And is this the best use of it? And so, you know, I have built failure into the model 100%. I am no expert. I never ran a camp. I was only a counselor. I feel grateful I met my husband at camp. But other than that, I look to the professionals. I hope for people with great integrity and great respect for, for the work that they do. And But other than that, you know, we're doing our best. It's a really fantastic answer to explore. And I'm also interested in this concept of humility, particularly humility in the philanthropic world. It's not normally an adjective that you would associate with philanthropists in the Jewish world. Perhaps I'm speaking out of turn here. But here it's like this is a really interesting paradox. In some ways, you need bold vision and you need to be really like committed to what you're doing. And there's also this tension, I think, sometimes with humility that you might not know all of the answers. And your ability to rely on both the practitioners, the people running the camp is really important for us all to hear 
as well. And that I think this dichotomy between philanthropist and practitioner in the field, we somehow need to bridge that in order to achieve the best results and recognize that we're all on this earth with certain skills or certain assets or attributes. And it's only when they come together that we can actually bridge these pieces of the equation together. You're 100% right. And, you know, the Hebrew word is mifkash in all levels. I mean, I feel like I'm living the ultimate mifkash as being an Ola Chadasha, I work entirely with Israelis who come from the world of informal education. This is their fourth generation Israelis. They don't know a camp from, you know, we're building something fiercely new from the bottom up with, and, you know, just a decision like our logo, they wanted to do a cactus and a cactus didn't talk to me. I was like, oh God, a cactus, like I'm a maple leaf girl, you know, like a cactus is prickly. It's, it's uninviting. They're like, no, it's our, we grew up with this dancing cactus. I'm like, listen, I defer to you. This, you are the Israelis. Israelis. This is not for Shana. This is for the Israeli youth, the next gen. So I, to me, it's so much fun. It is so, you talk about klita, you know, when you really feel absorbed, when I can sort of like kibitz with them and laugh with their sharing and my sharing of what, you know, a cartoon character was and what, and what it meant to us. And then we come up with a new sort of position of it. It's thrilling. It is absolutely thrilling. And and that's what I, when I think about philanthropists, like on both sides of JFN International and Israel, it's like, get together with someone here and, and work and translate on what you care about. And there is so many places where it can come to life here in, believe me, in a very different form than you may think it will be. But go in with that openness, go in with that opportunity that you can make something radically new. And like yesterday, because like Yella, like, you know, there's no time to waste and Israelis will jump right in right next to you. I think that this is a really important part of the equation that often doesn't get spoken about in Jewish educational sectors, that resources are needed and resources are needed to bring some of these or many of these or all of these ideas to fruition. And I think this is the conversation that I would like to see emulated across the board in the Jewish community and not have these dichotomies between philanthropists, federations and the people doing the work in the field the recognition that everybody has what to contribute, that we can't all do it alone. And hopefully this conversation is able just to bring some people's thinking to bringing these things closer together moving forward. But I'm not going to let you get off today's call without asking the question which I've asked every one of our guests since we started almost two years ago or more than two years ago now on adapting. Who is an educator in your life that made a transformative moment exposed to you? You know, I looked at the questions this morning, and this has been with me all day, this question. And, you know, I I was thinking of like school teachers and like your typical teacher educator, I guess that comes to mind. And I really feel really lucky. I've had many educators in my life who've entered my life in different times, I guess, that where I was searching. But I think about two women. Um, One, it was my mother, who is a long life learner who nothing was ever unavailable to her and everything, she had this incredible amount of curiosity. So I think the curiosity, you know, was just around me and it was limitless. Like I can go anywhere. Another woman in my life was my best friend, Joanna's mother, Monica, who was this mother who was ahead of her time. She had the first computer and we thought it was like this this robot in our house. We didn't understand what it did, but she was the woman who said, I want to be there. And she just 
went for it when no one was going there. And as a little girl, again, in my very, very cocooned community, this was someone very out of the box for me and made me realize that you can pick where you want to go. And, you know, no one set the pace and that liberty to just say, I want to be there. I'll get there. And Monica was that person for me. So I think, you know, an educator is a big one. It's, uh, I really still feel like I'm in school in many, many ways in so many things. And I love it. I love it because, I mean, that's what we're about. We're about asking questions and uh, continuing to try our best, something turning all the time. Shauna, this is pretty much how I remember our first conversation at Jewish Funders Network last year. It's just really enlightening and opened my thinking up to a whole lot of ideas about the intersection between Jewish education and philanthropy specifically, but also the power of Jewish summer camp, the state of Israel diaspora relations, all of that is embodied within you. And I'm so glad that we had the chance to speak today. And I'm just really just glad that you bring so much of your personal passion, your personal biography to everything that you do. And I think we're all better off because of it. So thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you. And you know, this, this really happened because I was, you know, your stalker. I was like addicted to your podcast. So I'm really, really flattered to be part of this. And I'm grateful for these podcasts that you do. It connects me to what's going on in other places in the Jewish world. And I look forward to them. I've crocheted a whole blanket while listening to your podcast. So uh, keep them coming. And uh, again, thank you for this opportunity. Great. And season three has many more really interesting and exciting guests coming aboard. And as we've spoken already, we're going to be looking at some of the more challenging issues facing Jewish education today and trying to really like open up the screens to behind some of the conversations which often go unspoken. And we encourage all of our listeners who are thinking about such topics to give us a shout out to, to write to me or to write to the people at the Jewish Education Project. Let us know what's on your mind and what issues you would like us to be exploring in the year ahead. So thank you very much to Shauna. Thanks very much to all of our listeners today. As always, today's episode was produced by Dina Nussenbaum and Gabriel Weinstein, the show's executive producers are myself, Karen Cummins, and Nessa Lieben, and our show is engineered behind the scenes and edited by Nathan J. Vaughan of NJV Media. If you enjoyed adapting as much as I did and as much as Shauna has over time, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or even better, share it with a friend because we want to get the message out to as many people that Season 3 is even better than Seasons 1 and 2. And as always, to learn more about the Jewish Education Project, you can visit us at our website, jewishedproject.org, where you can learn more about our mission, our history, and our staff. And as always, we are proud to be a partner of UJA Federation of New York. Thanks, Shauna, and thanks everyone for listening today.